This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book, and it is number five of the series denominated Glory. May I remind you that we have looked at the meaning, basic meaning of this word glory, doxa, and discovered that it doesn't merely mean magnificence, but it means something which has passed through a test and is particularly connected with the refining of metals, the trial of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honour and glory. See? Well now this evening, we're considering the passage in Romans chapter 3. In our last study, we were considering Romans chapter 1, where we discovered perhaps to our amazement that the nations of the earth were held inexcusable because they were surrounded by evidences of creation that are without excuse, for God has shown it unto them. We must accept the word of God and realize what a tremendous responsibility rests upon every one of us to be surrounded by these wonders of creation and never give two thoughts to the Creator. Now we come in chapter 3 to the next question. Verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You notice I didn't commence it with the word for. But I must do, mustn't I? And the word for links it with what's gone before. And so we go right back at least to the opening words of chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew, the circumcision? Oh, it's as much every way. Are we better than they? Oh, no, in no wise. Do you see the difference between a dispensational distinction and the leveling one fact that we all sinned? And these passages which are quoted as it is written, uh, verse um, 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They're all quoted from the Old Testament and are charged, first of all, against the people of Israel. But he says in the preceding verse, We have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin, as it is written. So we have this list. Now, I'm wondering whether some folks might think I have a little bee in my bonnet. I dare say I have. But do notice, will you hear, these definitions of sin. They are gone out of the way. They together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, we can see all those, they're quite obvious. But now look, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And it says in verse 13, their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Tongue, lips, throat, mouth. I do feel that there is a stress in the scriptures upon the sin in relation to speech. I know you can quote Shakespeare and say words to the heat of deeds to cold breath gives. And that would be out of its context for you'd have to see why it was said. But words can influence destinies and lives. James says, 
You see what a great ship is turned by a little rudder. And he likens that to the tongue that turns the body round this way or that way. And as it's written here, and I didn't even write the epistle to Romans, friends, I've been accused of a lot of things, it's stressing lips, throat, and tongue. And if our Saviour says, every unfruitful idle word that man shall speak, he'll give an account in the day of judgment. So do remember that we've been entrusted with a most precious gift, language. We have a most precious book, the word of God. And we have opportunities to make it known, and sometimes we spoil it and defile it by using words which will never stand the test, putting it through the fire. So that's all introducing this question of sin. He sums it all up. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I call this the acid test of sin. Because you see, we've already seen that the word glory means passing a test and coming out as being genuine. How does he introduce this question of sin? He says, they've come short. Now that's one of the aspects of sin. Not merely what you have done, but what you've not done. I remember, I've told you before, I'm sure, once way on a holiday sitting talking to one of the fellow guests and he was very bridled because I spoke of him as a possible sinner. He took me up on it. It was only one thing in his mind that was sin. So I changed this figure. I said, now, I looked at his wife just to get her in harmony with me. I said, would you say that you were 100% perfect? We said, I wouldn't say that. I said, that's it. Now, you've heard people rail against the savage law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, have you? Well, that's simply 16 ounces to the pound, friends, that's all. And when you go into the butchers and you hear the butcher, or you hear the lady calling attention to the butcher that he's only given her 15 ounces of the pound, would you say to her, oh, you savage brute? Don't you see, friends? In the course of justice, none of us would see salvation. We all have come short. That is one of the first things to remember. Never mind whether you've never done anything like that. It's what you haven't done that will tell against you as well. And there's not one of us that can escape this test. Now you do remember, don't you, that Paul was a Hebrew and spoke Greek. Both statements are made in the Acts of the Apostles. The soldier said, Can't thou speak Greek? And then he went out and spoke to the multitude in Hebrew. And when I heard him speak in Hebrew, I gave him attention. So that this man, almost unconsciously, would occasionally use words that were coloured by the fact that he knew both languages. Well, let's put ourselves a little bit into the same position in connection with this one word, come short. And for that, I would like you to turn to the... Um, now, I've got to find a passage for a minute... Oh dear, I'll have to trust my memory, I've not written it down. That memory of mine has indeed come short tremendously. But there is a passage in the uh, Old Testament where it says there was a certain number in the tribe of Benjamin 
who could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Now it's that word miss, which is the word translated sin over and over again in the Old Testament. To miss the mark is sin. So you need not be an outrageous sinner, friends. You need not be a blackguard. You need not have your hands stained with blood. You may not be a thief. But if you miss the mark, friends, if you don't come up to standard, friends, you need a saviour. The same element enters into circumstances that have altered persons' lives, even in our day. A person sits for an examination and he goes up to be examined. He's got a good sound pair of lungs, his heart's all right, and then the doctor's face drops a bit. He says, I'm sorry, old man, you're two inches short. Oh, I can't, oh, he says, I can't stretch anything. It stipulates you must be five foot ten. And you're only five foot eight and a quarter. Oh, but all me, oh, he says, I can't help it. All your life altered. Yes. He is a picture of every one of us. Come short of the requirements. Now, either God has got to stoop to make all sorts of little alterations to let us in, or he's got to do what he did do. Send his son. Because on either side of this passage is emphasis upon righteousness. Romans 3.22 Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm going to stop for a minute. In the verse um, preceding in chapter 3, it speaks about the faith of God. Shall it make the faith of God? Well, that isn't us believing in God. It's God's own faithfulness, isn't it? So here he says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. And you couldn't say, now the, uh, even the righteousness of God, which is by believing on Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. That's not what it says. Don't forget he emphasizes his faith. And were it not for his faith, which means faithfulness, and so translated many a time, all our faith would be in vain. If a man is overboard and they throw a rope to him, he has faith and gra grabs it, but the rope breaks. Well, what's the good of his faith then? You think just the same if he didn't hold it, wouldn't he? So do remember, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God. Not merely by my faith in him, but by his faithfulness in holding me. Faith of. I suggest if you want a private study, you take those words and you'll find they're used quite a number of times in that special uh, idea. That he is trustworthy, otherwise our trust is in vain. So we now have the thought that sin is coming short of a standard. And as the word glory is in view, and we've already seen it has to do with testing a little, we have been put into the acid bath and we're proved to be base metal. It may have looked like it. I mean, I remember when the war was on and you passed a jeweller's shop, they were asking you to bring all the old jewellery you've got. And some people, they ransacked their boxes and the drawers and that, and they got Aunt Mary Ann's golden earrings and somebody else's locket, and they took them there. And oh, what a surprise. Sorry. Look at it. It's not gold at all. It's a mixture. 
That's what's happening here. We're all very respectable people until we come up against this acid test. And then we learn that every one of us, without exception, there is none righteous. No. Not one. And that's a levelling thought, isn't it? It doesn't say that we're all as bad as each other. But that doesn't save me because I'm a little better than the other man. I'm still short. And so here is a point I think we do well to ponder. Sin is coming short of a standard. Now you'll find this occurs in the uh, teaching of the Apostle more than one place. First of all, is use of the word to come short. I think we might just get one or two passages to impress it upon our minds. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of of you should seem to come short of it. Well, you can quite see that. Here's a promise. You hang back. You perish in the wilderness like they did. Coming short of it was disastrous to them, you see. And so we have that emphasis upon the idea of coming short. In Philippians chapter 4, 11, one other passage, I won't give you a series, but you can find them. Philippians 4, 11. The, uh, the apostle has been reminding the Philippians how glad he is to hear from them again because he commends them that at the beginning of the preaching of the gospel no others but Philippians contributed to the expenses and then Paul was a very sensitive person oh, oh friends he said don't think I'm spelling and asking you to send me another contribution I'm not saying that you could see that in this next few verses but he said not that I speak in respect of want want that's coming short and we do use the word today, oh, I'm a bit short, don't you? Well, don't forget, when you say you're a bit short, because they've been overexpending, it's a testimony that every man, woman and child in this whole wide world has to say, outside of Christ, they come short. And then it's written of him, then I restored that which I took not away in the Old Testament prophecy. He had not any need to die, for himself. But it was for us. And where we came short, he filled it to the brim, both positively with righteousness and negatively with enduring that dreadful cross. So we've got this emphasis here. And see that you come behind in no gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Come behind. Come short. Fail. Miss the mark. They threw the stones at the hair's breadth and didn't miss. Same word as I said earlier. That word miss is right through the Old Testament translated sin. Missing the mark. And so we have this. Now, the next thought comes uh, in this connection. The way in which the Apostle has used the word worthy. Not to do with sin so much, but still with the same idea that all our actions. You got to finish it for me? Oh, Wade. Wade. It gives you those three chapters of Ephesians with its glorious calling. And then what does he say? Chapter 4. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And axios, 
the word the word worthy is a word that refers to the beam of a balance. Now, do what we will, we'll never get that balance perfectly horizontal, not in this life. But we need not confess utter failure. We can seek to walk worthy, even though we confess at the end. We are poor servants. And then, it's written large in the Old Testament, and although it's going aside a bit, I think perhaps we will get this insistence by that well-known passage in the book of Daniel, chapter 5. The book of Daniel, chapter 5. You know, the king was sitting there with his courtiers and others and having a proper carry-on and then he saw the finger of a hand came and wrote upon the wall. Chapter 5 of Daniel. It says, in the explanation of what happened, verse 24, Oh, I must go back to verse um, 23. But thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought thee vessels of this house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines, have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear nor know, but the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Here's this man with blind eyes with regard to the fact that he had a creator, a maker, and a sustainer. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. This was what puzzled them. Written upon the wall of that banqueting hall. Mini, mini, tikkun, you farsin. Now, mostly, I dare say you all know what it means, but let's read on in the explanation. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, the word is translated month, and is in use to this very day. God hath numbered thy kingdom, and finished it. He's numbered it. Tikkun is the Aramaic pronunciation of shekel. Thou art weighed in the balances, and art found wanting. Now that's not merely written of Belshazzar, Bel- Belteshazzar, Belshazzar. It's not written of him only. It's written of every one of us by nature. We've been weighed in the balances of God's word and we've come short. We're wanting. Let's finish it now. Peris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now some folks have a bit of a difficulty there. They say, well, he's explained what needy has means and tikkun, but what's this euphasin? He doesn't say euphasin in verse 28, he says peris. Well, I think you can see what that means. The you in front of the word is our word and. Well, you don't have to translate the word and to anybody in the ordinary way, but this particular you turns a p into a ph when it's pronounced, you see, to make it easy to pronounce. And then the I-N at the end is just an ending of a, of a verb. So he simply picks out the basic word. He doesn't translate what and means, and they knew. And peeries is the bit that's left. Now there's a play upon words here. Not only does the word peeries mean divided, but peeries is the word that means a Persian. And that's what's happening. The Persians came. 
and took their kingdom. It's as though a finger wrote on the wall of Buckingham Palace, you're scotched. And sure enough, the Scots came down and robbed us of our cream and sat upon the throne himself. Just a play on words. But there it is. That figure that comes in the scriptures weighed in the balances and found wanting. Come short of the glory of God. Don't you see, in both cases, it's simply saying you haven't reached the standard. It doesn't accuse you of the most horrible, terrible wickedness. You come short. That's the finish. Every one of us are here. Come short of the glory of God. Divine testing. And then on either side of that, oh, and I noticed, while I had Daniel in front of me, I noticed this. Thou knew, whom thou knewest, thou hast not glorified. And Romans 1 says, when they knew God, they glorified him, not as God. And then, it says you worship gods of silver, and they made images, instead of worshipping the true God. And thou hast not humbled thyself. And their foolish heart was darkened. And then, you're numbered and weighed and divided, and God gave them up. So there's a certain balance between that tragedy in that day with Belshazzar and the word on the wall. Every one of us could look on the wall and say, that could be written of me on my, uh, by myself without the grace of God. Well now, I think we come back to, to Romans, the third chapter, for another feature. On either side of this passage, verse 23, is the emphasis upon justification and redemption. That, that's, that's put in here to carry us on to the one hope we have. So don't let's end up on the uh, sad note, let's end up on the glad one. In verse 22, this righteousness is the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, and it's unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. There's no difference in the act of faith. There's no difference in the need. Whether you are brought up in this land, or whether you were brought up on the Congo, or whether you were in China, it doesn't matter. All have sinned, and all can come, or must come, if they're ever coming, the same way. For all have sinned, and come short of this test, this glory of God. Now the next thing to notice is this. Being justified freely. Do you notice there's not an interval? It doesn't say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if you make up your mind and you have a good tussle with yourself and you repent and you appear to be trying your very utmost, God will save you. It doesn't say that. He says, being justified freely, it can be straight on without a break. You're absolutely bankrupt. And you've got the wealth of redemption at your disposal by one moment of faith. You realise your need, you put your trust in him, and the work's finished. Always a lot comes out of it after that. But that's where the emphasis is here. Being justified 
freely. The word freely means without payment, without a price. But the immediately goes on to say a price was paid. You haven't paid it. It's free to you. By his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. He's piling on now the work of Christ. Redemption is that which leads you out, the exodus. Just the sprinkling of blood and out. And the propitiation is the ark in the tabernacle. Acceptance and reconciliation and forgiveness. So there is hope for all those who will take their stand where God has placed them, bow in his presence and acknowledge all have sinned, yes Lord, and I'm among them. And the other attitude, of course, is the reverse. Two men went into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a publican. And the Pharisee stood by himself and looked up to the Lord, looked up at least to the roof of the building and said, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I possess and I'm not like this publican. And the publican durst not lift up his eyes to heaven but said, God, be merciful. That word merciful is this word propitiation. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I don't think he ever saw the Pharisee. Made no comparison with him. I tell you, said the Saviour himself, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And this verse in Romans 3 is only slipped in by the Apostle in his great doctrine and great argument concerning justification by faith without works. I know that some folks take you up and say, James contradicts him. He doesn't. You've heard that before. Let's have it again. The great figure in Romans is Abraham, who believed what God said, that he would have a child, even though he was as good as dead. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. And James, he comes along, and instead of going to the same passage, he said, Abraham was willing to offer his son on the mountain. That was a long time afterwards. Don't you see, he says, how his faith was perfected? He's not contradicting. He said he believed like that and that's all he did. But he could go on and believe that he would raise that beloved son of his from the dead if needs be. So he says, you see, he was justified by his works and no contradiction. But at the beginning, that doesn't come. We have this blank statement. We're all bankrupt. We're all sinned. Come short. We've got nothing to say. Nothing to pay. And then we are turned immediately to the one offering of the finished work without which there is no hope. Well, up, up to this point, we have been dealing particularly with individual sins. Or they're specified, we might mention them. Sins to do with walk and sins to do with the mouth and sins to do with the feet and sins to do with the understanding and so on. 
When you get into the second half of chapter 5, 6, 7 and 8, you leave the word individual sins out and you come to the root cause. Sin. Quite apart from its expression, it's there. But that is another story. So in chapter 1, the nations of the earth were held responsible. They hadn't glorified God because the very creation around them testified and spoke of his eternal power and Godhead. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world were clearly to be seen. And then he comes to the next in charge. And he says, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you belong to this group. There is no difference. So please do remember the difference between dispensational truth and doctrinal truth. I've been called very evil names by someone who doesn't understand. It's printed in his book that I have no place for the epistle to the Romans. That's about remarkable, isn't it? I wonder what I was doing in writing that book, just the justifier. But don't you see, he's, he's not seen the difference between the fact that Romans gives you the doctrinal basis upon which Ephesians rests. But Ephesians is not found in Romans, but Romans is underneath it. If you're not justified by faith, if you do not know Christ as your Saviour, it's no good talking about all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. But there's no confusion. So once more, I've done the best I can, very limitedly, I'm conscious, of bringing before you another verse. All have sinned and come short, missed the mark, failed, not reached the standard, not given 16 ounces of the pound, whatever way you look at it, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified, straight off, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption, one aspect of the work of Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, another aspect, or what a full salvation for all possible failures on our part, whether it be at the beginning needing redemption or subsequently needing sanctification and the sprinkling and the cleansing and the access and the acceptance. So I ask you, with these few words, to turn to the book itself and weigh in the balances of the sanctuary this weighty passage that sin has robbed God instead of giving him 16 ounces of a pound we've given him 14 or 15 or however small a difference it may be we still need a saviour 